and we're pasting this in here because I completely forgot to plug the book right at the top of the show. Uh, Calvin, where can people go buy the book um, now and in the future? Yeah, so right at Hippocampal Children's Books at on South Avenue, the, near the corner of like Averill and South Avenue. Um, Pamela and Henry are the, the owners of the bookstore, and they are my retail partner. And um, after December, we'll hopefully be rolling it out at some other um, local independent booksellers as well, but, but always Hippocampal. That's great. Yeah, go to Hippocampal, buy the book. And now we're going to go into all the description about Just Desserts by Calvin Eaton. I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Rochester? Well, why Rochester? Chris Lindstrom was a hoot. He was just so much fun. He never stopped talking. I mean, it was great. Party down? Yes! Take it from me, an inveterate snob. (laughs) That's it! Stinks. It stinks. It stinks. And we don't need any characters around to give the joint atmosphere. Is that clear? Because I'm a pro. That's what pros do. I'm a professional. Look it up in the book. What do you say? Enough. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. And we are back with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. And I'm sitting across from somebody who I've known for a hot minute now. We don't see each other as much as I would like. But I'm really excited to talk to him today about his new book. Guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, I am Calvin Eaton, the gluten-free chef. Hi, Calvin. It's great to have you over again. I'm glad to be back. It's been too long. Way too long. And I know we run into each other, but I think it's it's hard with, you know, we're so both involved in so many different things at this point. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just one. Like, oh, you're putting out a book. That's the only thing you've been working on for the X amount of time. Right. Like, that's that's not how you that's not how you live your life, which is one of the reasons I think we've always gotten along well. Right. It's because you're, you, you've got this just can't not motivation where mm-hmm. you see a hole and you have to work on it, um, which is why I've always really enjoyed being around you and having, uh, having your presence in Rochester. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's, um, it's been quite the journey, and I'm here with my new cookbook, Just Desserts, which has been... I say a 10 year production, but the last 21 months of like putting all the ideas into this like finished, beautiful product. So I'm really excited. So was that, so, um, was that the start of the like tangible process of going from maybe you've had the idea for a book, but actually saying book was that, is that the time frame? February of last year. So February 2022, I actually, so this almost didn't even happen because, you know, as, as you said, I do a lot and I'm very creative and an entrepreneur, maybe a serial entrepreneur, maybe, I don't know. I'm, I don't I'm know right what, there with you, you, man. You cross that line. So uh, let's, let's take a pause for a second okay. because I don't want to, f- don't want people to forget all the other stuff that you work on. Okay. Um, so, um, most notably, 540 West Main. 540 West Main, yes. Uh, quick description, so people, if people are interested in what goes on there. Yeah, so 540westmain.org. We are, it's my nonprofit, or I should say our nonprofit, um, that I founded back in 2016, um, right at 540 West Main Street in the Susan B. Anthony neighborhood. And 
Um, it evolved as things do um, when you create pro projects that are people-centered, but um, we are an anti-racist education platform and we create education content, educational content that is rooted in, in anti-racism and social justice. And started out with a community space, a physical in-person space in the Susan B. neighborhood and was very much about connecting people to that neighborhood. Um, and that shifted, which is as most of our lives, all of our lives did in some, some way or the other in 2020 mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And we pivoted to become a primarily virtual remote first organization um but but for me as someone who lives at the intersection of multiple different marginalized identities including being a disabled person um when the world went when the world went virtual if you will sort of almost seemingly overnight I was kind of like what took us so long because I've been doing virtual work for years um out of necessity that's really a big reason why I started content creation was because I needed to figure out how to cobble together some form of a living when my health took took a shift um, back in 2011. Well, it also has so. to be, it had to be a little bit jarring after all that time to see everybody else yeah. dealing with dealing with those restrictions. Yes. Um, it, I mean, jarring in lots of different ways like yeah. it's not necessarily the overall obviously big net negative not a great thing the whole uh the whole virus thing um but it had to be a little jarring to see everybody else dealing with with those restrictions and learning that um turns out that being restricted in those ways challenges every part of you as a person yeah. physically and mentally and socially and yep. economically and everything else it had to be a little odd to see that happened to everybody yeah, else at the same time yeah it was it was interesting to see that sort of happen but as we do we are very nimble more nimble than we give ourselves credit for as human beings and yeah. so we we, we saw the shift and you know there are many parts of it that i i wish that we could retain in terms of like accessibility and um equity if you will so um that's a big part of my story everything really always sort of comes back around to thinking about um, accessibility and equity yeah whether you know it's very specific you know teaching people about what that means and what that looks like or or as it sort of relates to me being gluten-free as well and thinking about accommodations and accessibility around the gluten-free and celiac community which is um you know everyone doesn't know like you know when you're when you're creating these things it's like they are parts of you and so it feels very as you know this as a creator right it feels very natural and organic how things are connected yeah um but my work really before 540 was really around gluten-free gluten-free and celiac disease education and accommodation and 540 came later yeah a little bit later but um my career as a content creator and entrepreneur started as a gluten-free blogger, blogger yeah which i know last time we talked that was it was still that in many ways yes. as a blogger at the time, yep. which um, for our younger listeners, blogging was where you would write on yeah. the internet and not on like Facebook or Twitter. It was a separate thing. Yeah. Um, and I think both of us were actually somewhat early in that, you know, early, not in the earliest, earliest stages, right. but early yeah. before it like went wild, exploded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know both of us did a lot of writing. 
Uh, we were talking before we started about how I really don't like writing, which is why nobody, no idea. nobody sees me write anymore. <laughs> uh, this is much more natural for me and finding things that work with the way my brain works and yeah. the way that I tackle things has been really valuable in getting me more tied into the community and finding those ways that make sure that I can be the best I can be has been beneficial. I've seen you cater what you do to work around your availability and mm -hmm. your your personal and mental and physical availability to be able to still do the work you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, which is why when I saw you know going into the 540 West Main and going virtual, um, I knew it was hard, but it also felt like, oh, Calvin's finding his place yeah. where he can do the work that he really wants to do right. and be able to balance his life accordingly. It made me very happy to see that. Well, I'm, I'm glad. And, you know, it, it really, as you know, it's an evolution and it's, it, it doesn't happen overnight. But I think that for me, um, for, for a little bit of time there, I was really trying to connect 540 more directly with the gluten-free chef and mm. it felt very frustrating that it wasn't connecting in a way that was seamless for me so i did get to a place where i said i'm gonna need i i essentially at least in my mind sort of like it's okay when things need to take a a, a, a back seat if you will creatively yeah. um and sometimes that feels very disconnected as a content creator where you feel like you want to juggle all the things all at all at once and then it's just not possible <laughs> to do that. So it's really, um, it's really funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many conversations like that I've been having right. out in the world right now about how, how can we continue to do the things that are good and be able to sustain ourselves right. um, in all the ways that we sustain ourselves. And yeah, it's yeah, let's let's go into let's go yeah the separation of those two. Yeah, so I I felt like you know I was not able to devote as much time. I love writing, and I oftentimes will tell people that I feel like I express my thoughts better. I feel sometimes when I am able to write them down mm. as opposed to verbally, even though you know I do love to to talk, of course, as well and share <laughs> thoughts and ideas. Um, so once I got over that sort of just like feeling you know it was it, it didn't feel i just sort of let that go and 540 became its own sort of entity as people know many people know me through that work but but as you know i never turn off being gluten-free it's always a part of my life in existence so for me i've i've only been gluten-free for over a decade and cooked gluten-free and so collecting these recipes and writing recipes and rewriting recipes and um, connecting with different content creators in the gluten-free world, like nationally and globally, has always continued even when it's not like the visible content thing that people mm. know me from. Um, and so behind the scenes for, for many years, I've been writing recipes and baking and there were times when it where there was a synergy where people people connected to 540 through vegan and gluten-free pop-ups that we've done through classes around veganism and, and gluten-free and so because i'm also an educator i'm always how can i bring in these other facets of my life gluten-free and teaching people how to cook and meal plan and meal prep but but gluten-free and so that's that's all always been a constant and so um pieces of this book are like I, I've, I've gone through different digital virtual like 
drives of storage? How do we save the clouds? And I think I just transitioned from, I'm transitioning from Amazon to Dropbox because Amazon is getting rid of its, this is like a whole technical thing, but <laughs> Amazon's getting rid of its its cloud service. I, you know, like it's shutting for people. down for, for people. Yeah. So I'm like transitioning all of this year's worth of like, just like ideas and recipes and pictures into Dropbox. And I wanted 2022, the book to come out last year because it was the official 10 year anniversary of the food blog, the gluten-free chef blog. And I think that just sort of sitting with that and not rushing it, um, I knew this was going to be a big project to publish a book, but nothing can prepare you for the process of writing a book, whether you go you know, through a traditional publisher or some hybrid, which is what the approach that I took, or self-publishing. But um, just sort of like thinking about anyone who does anything for 10 years, yeah. <laughs> like pat yourself on the back of you, <laughs> you know, if you're raising children for 10 years, if you've been, you know, um partnered with someone in a relationship for 10 years like it's it's what you accomplishments to stick at to be at a job career for 10 years just to do something consistently for 10 years is a huge accomplishment and so um the last 21 months has really been me pouring a lot of that um pride and energy into this cookbook which is really honoring um, my journey as a content creator from in, in 2012 when I started the food blog into this this book that, you know, I, I, I it's almost surreal to see it. I'm like looking at, you have a soft cover, I have a hard cover, we have two editions. Oh, look at you. But it's almost surreal to like, I created this. Oh yeah. <laughs> Even though I went through every step of the way, I, I was just writing on, on social media that, in the phase now of like this big project and it's like you've birthed it in, in you know some ways mm-hmm. and you know for lack of a of, a, of another metaphor it, it just it's a mix of emotions because it's like a different phase you're no longer creating the thing and all the pieces have come together into the final project and um it feels surreal in some ways as well well it's and now it's like and as much as i don't want to talk about work but it's it's the second phase, right? It's the second phase of the work, and it's that's not fair to call a twenty-one, a twenty-one month journey one phase. Exactly, but it's it's pivoting to the next part of what is doing, you know, what is creating something like this that is, you know, a lot of work and a lot of detail going into something like this, and then having to talk about it all, but also do all the work that comes with publicizing something right. like this because it's not it's not one thing it's lots of things exactly um because it's you know it's it's writing and it's pr and it's podcast and it's national and it's local and it's in person and it's virtual it's just it never stops it never stops <laughs> exactly yeah so here we are but here we are so let's talk about that 21 month journey okay by doing a brief so you know if you want to go into all the details kevin wrote about his journey and the start of the book yeah but let's do the you know the cliff notes version of you learning about where you were and then we'll dive into all the book details so like my gluten-free journey yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so um like many people it was very like not a linear path 
Um, I started to have just like chronic health issues back in 2010, even as early as even before that. And it wasn't really until 2011 where, you know, celiac, gluten-free, irritable bowel, those types of like terms came into my lexicon. And I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome in 2011. And um, so I'm going to pause for a second. Sure. It's this is a very unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Can you describe what fibromyalgia is? That is something that yeah. comes up. And I think there's a lot of people, they may have heard of it, but they have no idea what it is because it can be described in many different yeah. ways. It seems like it's. Um, kind of reminds and I, again I'm not I don't know the details so I'm not trying to correlate things that aren't the same but um, like when people have had you know uh, long COVID or extended uh, mm -hmm. Lyme disease mm -hmm. or things like that it seems to live in that world of yeah. many things live underneath of it yeah so it's it's a neuromusculoskeletal condition um, there there's lots of research happening about like the trigger or causes of it um but it essentially in just like very basic terminology like the way that my body and my brain process pain or stimuli is warped it's not typical and so um very basic activities like taking a walk or mowing the grass or shoveling snow for 30 minutes um for for folks who have fibromyalgia it can feel like your muscles ache um you have extreme musculoskeletal pain and fatiguing of your muscles like it, it, it can you know feel like did i just shovel for 10 minutes or did i like run a marathon yeah right and the ability to sort of bounce back from 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 whatever you do isn't as it should be and so the body is sort of like receiving the stimuli and processing it over processing it in a way that is um in incorrect mm. so there's a lot of you know over over my life living with this for over a decade um lots of conversations around like sleep and how well i'm sleeping if i'm getting REM sleep because there's some connection with that mm. um, i now have a cpap that i use that has helped me feel more restful that's um, awesome and rested and so things like that so it's just been an ongoing journey and before i even knew about the fibro i was sort of um also having like musk you know or stomach and gastro things and so um gluten i didn't even know what gluten was or not you sure know, before before all of this and so um i was actually lived with as lived was misdiagnosed with celiac disease for many years and it wasn't until the last three years that we officially were able to rule celiac out for me and irritable bowel disease is like what mm. the official diagnosis is for all the gastro stuff that I deal with and why, you know, a gluten-free diet is continues to be a necessity for me. But um, in the beginning stages of it, it was just a lot of thinking about how food and behavior intersect for wellness in ways that, 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 I mean, I think you've touched on some of this, like that we, we take for granted, like, like literally like we, 
I think we say you are what you eat, but it really, it really is like um, for sure. food has a, a big impact on your systems and your brain and those types of things. So um, that's that's been a huge learning curve and, and continues to be. And even though I've lived with it for for a long time and have understand the nuance of what it means to live gluten free, you know, you're constantly educating and re-educating other people, and that's where the the fatigue of that just comes. You just get tired of, you know, is this restaurant safe? Is it yeah. not? So that's really for me where my platform really began to grow when it really became began to sort of um, build outside of my own experience. Like, so if you went back to my blog post in the early days, there was a lot of like, you know, very personal I statements. Like, here is what I ate today. Yeah. Here's how I felt today. And to now where it's really become more of less about me and my experience and really you know i've worked with other writers and content creators making content writing content um general content if you will to really becoming a health and wellness community for people um we have a facebook community now gluten-free rochester that i started um back in 2013 of over a thousand people and it's wow. It, it almost runs itself. I don't I don't share my personal experience as much as I used to. Right. It's really facilitating dialogue and conversation amongst other people, newly diagnosed people. And this is really what the cookbook is about. It's really like me distilling and trying to distill all of my knowledge and information into a usable form for other people so that it's a little bit easier for the next person so they don't have to just, you know, go through as much as I did to learn what I know now. kind of. Yeah. Thing. Well, I was going to say, so there's a lot of work in here about the details and how everything works. I want to talk about the book work. Okay. And we'll spend the second half of our conversation talking all about the technical stuff that I love to dive into, but let's talk about the 21 month journey. Yeah. So, so I started February of last year, really, um, well, probably before that, just sort of like really like sitting down and sketching out like, okay, what is this? Yeah. How is this book? How am I going to do this? You know, because we're, you think about it and I've been talking about it and I've been journaling and I'm going to write this book. And I honestly felt that initially maybe this isn't going to happen just because I have other parts of my life. I'm 40, I'm teaching and all these other things. I was teaching at um, St. John Fisher for a, a number of years over the pandemic. And so I really just had to do a lot of like planning schedule wise of like, when am I going to actually sit down and write this book? And so I started, my approach was to, um, I actually did a, fe a writing fellowship. So I, I left Rochester. I love Ithaca. Yay to Ithaca. Ithaca is like, I actually maybe want to move to Ithaca. I've been love Ithaca for years, and so I went. It's a cool a, town, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great food town. There's it's small, and it's it's got a very it's got a very crunchy vibe, yeah. which has you know it suits some people and doesn't others. It feels like you you when you go to Ithaca, it's like you you are far just enough away from Rochester that it feels like you went away somewhere, but yeah, but it's not so far. Oh, for sure. So I went there and did this fellowship where you just sort of basically like unplug you were in a cabin in the mountains and it was quiet i tried to unplug from social media for probably four or five days i mm. drove to ithaca it was like midweek and stayed through the weekend and it just like started to in a word document very, very basic <laughs> um just start writing just start writing and 
Um, I tried to not focus so much on like the organization, spelling. It was really just writing what was coming, like almost like stream of consciousness. And so that's like for anybody who's like, where do you start? For me, that's the biggest piece. Just start to write. Like don't even focus on like, how am I going to categorize this? What's the title? I have pages of those notes to come back to, but it was really just starting to write the the bread and butter of, of, of this book. And it's really easy to get caught up in some of those details though, isn't it? Then you'll never, you never, you, what's the title? Then you can spend weeks going through titles and this oh, and yeah. that. And like, well, who cares about a title if you don't have a book? It doesn't matter <laughs> then, right? So that was like, for me, I had to just like, I almost had to like, create a starting point yeah. like disconnect from everything else in my life and just focus this dedicated time on this initial writing and then um i by the end of the time in ithaca i had almost an outline so i i started with just like stream of conscious writing and then by the end of that five-day period I sort of like worked my way backwards to like an outline of like, okay, now how am I going to organize this? Mm. What are the chapters going to be? What is going to be my like organizing principle for a cookbook? Because if you are a cookbook connoisseur, most every cookbook has like an organizing principle. Is it season? Is it ingredients? Is it you know, is it a niche? Is it like all about rice? Is it all about seafood? Whatever your, your thing let, is. Let's say this. It should, it if should. it's a book that's worth getting. Yes. yes. There should be a reason for it to exist. And, you know, despite the fact that there's there's this current, I don't know, trendy thing talking about, get to the recipe, get to the recipe. I think any book that's worth buying should have a personal reason to exist as well. Yeah. And not, not to say that you can't write a book without a personality to it. I mean, not a personality, but like you in it. Right. Um, every book needs a personality. Every book needs yeah, a I agree. raison d'etre, if you will. Yeah. Not that I'm throwing French into the yeah, mix here, it. but here we are. Um, but that definitely comes through with that too, with the way you laid it out. Well, well, I think too, I was thinking, you know, putting on my like entrepreneur hat and like marketing hat, there's so much information now about, I mean, you can Google gluten-free what, whatever, gluten-free cookie. But but for me now in this sort of like overwhelming sea of content, it's about what's, what is my, what is the personality of, of my brand, of the gluten-free chef? And why, why does anyone care about my brownie cookie recipe when there's probably hundreds of thousands online that you can find? Oh, sure. Um, and, and for me, it was, no one will have my story, my voice, my experience that I bring my perspective, right? That's sort of like the niche idea. Um, and that's what sort of sets you apart, you know, if you're thinking about like doing this yourself, writing a cookbook or any book for that matter. And so for me, it was really all about getting to the organi organizing like later. And then once, once I left, I did have goals for myself in that initial five-day session. Here is what I want to accomplish in this five days. I have this limited amount of time. I don't think I ever had another... That was, you know, between that time and now, there was never another huge block of that, a much devoted time to this book. Not to say that there weren't, like, you spent a 12-hour day or whatever or yeah. two days, but it was the biggest 
sort of like extended chunk of time that I dedicated to sort of like sketching out the project from from top to bottom, at least the writing part of it. Yeah. Um, and it was just so invaluable to, to go, go away and, and have that. I was going to say, so I, I don't want to lose our momentum when talking about all the details, but it sounds like that kind of experience going on, essentially, you know, that kind of retreat kind of thing. Yes. Seems like it got you, got you in the right space mentally as yeah. well to, to do that. And I don't know, it's, I'm kind of envious of that, like yeah. taking a step back and you're only focusing on you and the thing. Yeah. And seems like that was something that I can see it on your face, like yeah. how you know how like you remembering it fondly. It was it was so helpful, and I think it, again, shout out to the Salt and Stall Foundation because it is a New York State foundation in Ithaca for literary artists, writers, um, other artists as well to provide that accessible space to be able to just unplug and do your thing focus on whether it's photography writing poetry etc um and and honestly that is what many people lack that like dedicated time and space and so they they have a beautiful layout where you can apply to become a fellow um or just sort of like rent the space i think i did like the renting model mm-hmm. i don't know if they still do that it might have changed since last year but it was really nice because it was very inexpensive like literally like under fifty dollars per day oh wow that's that's amazing and the way that they do it is like you each person that gets your your time you do your own housekeeping you clean you do the laundry in preparation for the person that's coming behind you so it's just a really nice model and i was i was thinking Again, serial entrepreneur, we should have something like this in Rochester where it's providing the space, that space equity um, for creators because many people don't start because they just don't have the environment yeah. that's conducive to creating, the you know, being able to be away, no distraction. And so that was really impactful for, for me getting started on this project. And then I think beyond that, it's just... I'm, as you know, I'm very connected. I mean, I don't know that I'm the most connected in this community, but I'm pretty connected. For sure. And so I have lots of connections in, in our area and in New York State. And so um, it was just a lot of like having conversations with creators. Do you know a photographer researching, you know, connected to like the Rochester Brainery? And I was able to make connections just through our very rich cultural landscape in Rochester, um, even beyond just food which was just so nice because I was able to pull and connect with people who I probably wouldn't have been connected with if it wasn't for like the yards or the Rochester Brainery or, you know, Little Button Craft or Flower City Arts Center. My brother happens to be a photographer as well. So he- That was a hard one to find. Right, right. That's, you know, he's building Rochester (laughs) Artist Collaborative and he's really well connected with artists. And so, you know, I think we don't, we don't talk enough about the rich cultural and artist landscape that we have in Rochester. For sure. Um, that we're able to sort of support each other in ways that 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 you don't see in other cities and communities. And it's also small enough that most of us, I like to say, are like one or two or three, maybe six degrees of separated from like one other person that can well, change your life. For honestly. sure. And I, I think that's um, 
you know, I want to round up with this before I take our break is, you know, it seems like that's where a lot of things are going right now Yeah, is that these communities are becoming, you know, are blossoming here in Rochester all at the same time. Yep. And there's a lot of people who are doing that work to bring people together. And, you know, when you have a project, you're bringing people in that, that they'll be, you know, everybody's winning together mm-hmm. instead of, instead of people being separated and say, Oh yeah, you're doing your thing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk eventually. No, you got a project. Let's bring people together. Let's do this. Right. Let's create something special as a group. And there's something, there's something very positive about that. And I'm sure you're feeling that positivity. That's I think been growing here in Rochester over the last five years that kind of wasn't there before in many ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been, it's been great. And so it's been, you know, lots of collaboration too. I mean, this is all of my vision and my direction and all that, but, but I also could not have, have accomplished this, this huge um, production without a a, a collaboration and really a community. For sure. So that's um, a big part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's take a break. Uh, We'll be right back with the second half of our conversation with the great Kevin Eaton. I'm Matt Knotts. And I'm Chris Lindstrom. And we are the co-founders of the Lunchador Podcast Network, your home for amazing and wide-ranging podcasts in Rochester. With shows like Anomaly Presents, Behind the Glass, the Level Up Coffee Podcast, Punches and Popcorn, Just Can't Not, and of course, Food About Town, we celebrate the people, places, and things that make Rochester a fantastic place to live. We have more shows joining the network soon and offer remote and in-person recordings and video too. We're excited to bring distinct and diverse voices together on one network. Follow Lunchador on social media to catch new episodes as soon as they release and stay tuned for exciting news about new shows and how to support them. Lunchador, celebrating Rochester's creativity through the magic of podcasting. Hello, listeners. This is Richard B. Colon reminding you all to check out the Behind the Glass Gallery podcast hosted by myself and Kwaje Donnell. Every month, we interview the latest First Friday featured gallery artists and dive deep into their passion, drive, and motivation beyond what they display on our gallery walls each month in downtown Rochester, New York. So please, if you haven't yet, subscribe and give us a listen. Also, don't forget to check out our monthly artist receptions every first Friday of the month from 6 to 8 p.m. 240 East Main Street at the Mercantile on Main. Hoping to see you all behind the glass. And we're back with the second half of our conversation with Calvin Eaton, author of Just Desserts. 40 step-by-step gluten-free dessert recipes. Um, first off, this is a beautiful book. Thank you. Um, I was really impressed with how much detail is in there. And what I kind of want to dive into in the second and a half of our conversation, which is going to be a lot of technical, but it's technical through the lens of why is, why is the book written the way it is? And I'm really excited to talk about it because yeah. I love the technical and gluten-free baking necessitates <laughs> it necessitates being specific. Yeah. So the right from the beginning, I knew I knew very early that my book would be different from most cookbooks in that there would be a visual step by step for every like every line of every instruction. So that was already like the big vision from the beginning and like what was going to be different because I, as, as I've said, have been taking notes a- around like what I love and what I hate about 
my favorite cookbooks. And a lot of times we see cookbooks are really beautiful and they're beautiful photos. And you, you see this, sometimes this photo that you just feel like this is, I could never make my, my what I do look like that. Yeah. And so I think because cookbooks are also marketing and advertising as well, in many ways, like this sort of like small billboard in, in a sense, sometimes what you see is a highly curated ad and it's really not like it's not the real thing it's <laughs> it's, almost, it's, it's almost like, aspirational in it's like, like it's like the um the physical manifestation of you know a curated instagram, instagram i was gonna say right like you you don't see the behind the scenes the counter is a mess but what you see is like the beautiful finished product and so we have that but I, I i felt like this book i really wanted it to be real and i wanted to show through the beautiful photography the imperfections of food and like sometimes your cake will crack down the center and and, you, and i still used it in the photo and um stuff like like that in terms of the visual and so every recipe and the reason why there's only 40 is because as you're like thinking about how this is going to manifest on pages i initially this was going to be called like the gluten-free chef's big book of gluten-free baking and i had yeah like bread and yeast bread and all this different stuff and as you think about like the practicality of that i said there's this just gonna be it'll take me three four years to, to actually execute that and so i once once you give yourself those parameters of time how much financial resources you actually want to devote to the project and create a budget and, and on all of those things it begins to sort of say well maybe i can't do every single thing i want to do and i just really ended up niching down to like desserts well, and that's so I, I kind of want to dive in when you talked about that, because when you're talking about making this book accessible to somebody who's trying to do this stuff well, yeah, the step-by-step pictures, there's very few assumptions in that. Yes. Many books have assumptions that you know right. a terminology, that you know a process, that you know... Um, that you have a prior knowledge of many different things. Um, and that can be great, right? Because you can fit a lot more in a book. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of there's a lot of value to that. But I think there's also a huge value in a book that's not talking down to the person who's reading it, mm-hmm. but at the same time doesn't assume that you have a base of knowledge. It's a very fine line to balance. Right. And based on reading some of the recipes and the way you laid out the beginning of the book, which I really want to talk about, yeah, um, I think you really hit that where you're not you're not talking down to the reader, but you're making sure they understand, mm-hmm. which is a is a very challenging thing to do. And I wanted to say congratulations. Thank that's you. a really good. I'm based on everything you're saying. That's what you meant to do, and yes. it, you did a really good job at Thank that. Thank you. Yeah, I so it's I really wanted it to be for a beginner baker. But also, I think, high level enough for someone who's, maybe they consider themselves a very, you know, a, an expert baker, someone who bakes often, but but maybe the gluten-free part was, like, foreign, or or I shouldn't use the word foreign. What's a better word? Just, like, not, not as accessible to that person. Yeah. So... I think it's it's match it meets both of those objectives. Someone who says, I've been baking for years, but I've never really baked gluten free. 
and I want to challenge myself or there's someone in my life, friend, partner, whatever, who requires it and I want to actually bake for them a beautiful cake, but I want to try to true test the recipe. And I think, oh, I don't think I know where where I see myself fitting in now then is right that, and I say this in the book, in the cookbook that these recipes have been scaled up and down. I had a short-lived um, commercial bakery with many of these recipes, as you know, yeah. that I learned very quickly. You don't love writing. I don't love commercial bakery. <laughs> that was not my thing. Yeah. So, so these have been tested and they're also curated in its quality. And I think that in, in this information deluge of over over information and disinformation that's really where you're getting to because you you might be able to find another gluten-free recipe on instagram but who knows that that's going to work and if, if what you see is actually real because with ai now and tiktok oh. can be very de deceptive stuff doesn't always work the way that it appears in the video even well and something being rock solid right, right. yeah um and I, I just want to note, like, the fact that you took the time to take six pictures of making simple syrup. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that is like, oh, this is overkill. Yeah. Um, it's something that people take for granted, right. right? I know I do as somebody who's immersed in the world of cocktails. Yeah. You know, I might be talking about, you know, um, you know, heavy simple syrup and this and that. And like, right. I know all the ratios, but it's something that somebody can have in their house. People buy People buy simple syrup. Absolutely. That that's that's a crime against anybody who does anything with simple syrup. Right. Buying simple syrup is a waste of everything. <laughs> right. It's ecologically <laughs> a disaster, it's financially a disaster. It takes no time to do right. and it is truly something you need in your house. Yeah. If you're doing baking, if you're doing cocktails, you're doing anything. Right. But it's something people will forget about because they're like, Oh yeah, people know how to do that. Right. Um People can save. It's like boiling the egg. There is a there's skill, a hundred percent that you need to know to be able to boil an egg the right way. So that was the that was my like fawning over the details. <laughs> but what I do want to talk about, other than the fact that one, the pictures are beautiful and did a really good job of making the printing uh, evocative. Yeah, and larger, larger print. So. Those are where all of my like accessibility and accommodation. So this, I did notice that. Yeah, the print yeah, is the, big. The print the print is the largest, at least according to um the printer that I worked with, the largest before you, you the largest that you'll get in a traditional print before you have to start talking about like um large print. Ah, large gotcha. Print, which is its own separate category of, yeah. of book printing. It is very readable. Um as you know, somebody doesn't read on paper very much anymore. Yeah, sure. Um, it is very readable. Um, and what, you know, beyond the pictures, beyond the easy writing was, I want to talk about all of the different things that you laid out in the first section of the book, which was kind of your do's and don'ts. Yes. And frequently asked questions and also all the definitions which I really appreciate again that there wasn't there wasn't a page left unturned mm -hmm. because this is the stuff when it comes to gluten-free baking specifically right. it gets to be just a list of ingredients right and without understanding how each one operates yep. 
you could never do anything on your own. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to because all this stuff is dedicated to you, but you still took the time yeah. to go through the technical stuff, which I adore because that's the stuff I live for. Yeah. Well, also, but you, you take for granted, like, so if, when you don't have the information in the, in the why and the how, then you say, oh, well, this recipe says I need two cups of coconut flour. I don't have coconut flour. I'll just use almond flour instead. That's what I have. Not, right. not realizing that it's a completely different ingredient. It does something completely different for that recipe. The chemistry of coconut flour and almond flour is completely different. They have completely different weights. And Fat mass, content, mass, granularity. Of, exactly. So like that matters in baking in general, but especially gluten-free baking. And so that's why I wanted to give people the definitions, the understanding, what is the ingredient doing to the recipe? Why is it important? And then I say, I think I say at least three times if you if you so don't skip these beginning chapters of like don't substitute ingredients unless you just love to experiment in the kitchen which is might be folks who are who will be reading it and who are reading this book you will learn a lot um also if you're gonna do that from experimentation standpoint yes change one thing at a time yes and change something similar not changing rice flour to um to peanut flour or or <laughs> or granulated sugar for honey right I mean, we talk about that as i talk about that as well like right. it's, it's a different sweetener it's a liquid it's all those types of things so you know and that was really all intentional because but really the idea is that i have gone through that process for you i we have had a bakery where we were trying to create buttercream using edges that were room temperature and couldn't figure out why it wasn't coming together Mm -hmm. and literally wasted three dozen eggs before you figure out oh these eggs should be cold that's why it's not coming together or you know whatever whatever is happening so you don't have to suffer through that now if you if you follow the directions exactly as they are written and i think that um it just takes some of the intuition. You don't even need to like second guess it kind of a thing. Well, and I love that. Cause I, I think I want to pivot back to something you said, like you caught yourself for a second, which I know it's sometimes we all get, we all get into different spots when it comes to this stuff. You, you caught yourself for a second and you're talking about something, you know, well, and you said, I think, and you yeah. stopped and you said, I know. Yes. And I wanted to pause on that for a second because that's what this front section's about. This isn't about an I think. This isn't about an I know based on my experience. And this isn't like, you know, this isn't, you know, grandiose. This isn't, this isn't like self-aggrandizing. Like I know better than you. It's I've done the work and I can defend what I've done based on experience and results. And for for that, that makes a big difference. Right. And that I wanted to stop on that because that yeah. that's what this front section is to me. And when you use use the words saying like, if I tell you that for best results you should use a food processor, then you must find a food processor. Right. You know, it's an aggressive statement, <laughs> but also if you want people to get the results that you got, right. and you know that that's how it's going to work best, right. that does matter. And I want to talk about a couple of the things in here. Okay. So reading the recipe, reading the recipe matters so you can do your prep. 
So this yes. doesn't take forever to do things. Correct. Um, substitution we talked about. Um, using volumetric and weight measurements. I, I'm definitely one of those, you know, super nerds when it comes to I think that weight is the way to do the uh -huh. stuff. Yeah. But I think you're also very conscientious of accessibility. Right. And I appreciate that you still did the volumetric measurements for those that might not have access to a scale or right. other things yeah. or numbers are harder for them. Yes. Um, although from a technical standpoint, no, I would very strongly more accurate. It, 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 push I, towards I that. went back and forth with for years around that, but um, after making the recipes so many times, the scale is just so much easier and less cleanup. Yeah. With, like equipment to clean. Oh, for sure. Time. Um, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, I mean, so do you, I mean, I'm going to ask you a question now. Please. Do you consider yourself like a baker? No, I do not. Okay. Do not at all. <laughs> uh, I don't bake. I do lots of batch cooking. Okay. Um, I have baked. Sure. But I cannot remember the last time I baked. Okay. But I do have to say, I'm, I really want to go through and do this. And I apologize. I really meant to do at least one or two sure. this weekend. Sure. I did not get to it. And I feel bad. But I'm really excited to do a, some of the recipes, some of the vegan recipes, take some pictures and post them on my yeah, Instagram for sure. and everything for you. Um, but what I did want to talk about too is um, something that people, you know, for a long time have thought about as you can just buy a gluten-free flour off the shelf. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate that you went through the time to develop a comprehensive gluten-free flour recipe that works in a lot of different contexts. Right. Um, and I want to talk about that for a second because each part has an effect and from a scientific standpoint that's i want to talk about that for a minute because that matters a lot yeah because i've had gluten-free baked goods that i really hated yeah uh because they got it was dominated by flax yes. it was grainy and bad and there were so many things that i think could be better and that's why i want to talk through your flour recipe yeah. so let's talk about that for a second yeah, so my my blend. Let me just find, make sure that I'm giving the right page. So it's on page twenty four. Yep. In the cookbook, and um, which again, before you put the recipe, you go through every ingredient, every ingredient, yes, and talk through what each one does. Yeah. Um, and we'll go through it very briefly as we go. But yeah, so so rice, the rice flour. So there's rice flour, tapioca starch, potato starch the xanthan gum and then salt and and really the rice flour is providing the, the overall structure that you you want in most baked goods um it has a very it has a lightness to it it has a lightness to it it has some structure to it there's not a ton of like extra protein and all of that in rice and and, and you think about just like if you grain if you grind rice down there's, yeah. there's not a lot there then you add the potato starch it's going to give you some of that like dense if you if you weighed them like the same a cup of rice flour and a cup of potato starch the potato starch will actually weigh more it's like denser and you can see that in how it like levels out in like your container and then the tapioca starch is like bringing it all together tapioca starch is a, is a great binder you can use it to make thickened sauce and those types of things and so kind of together they're complementing each other and and trying to give you that crumb of like a, your most basic like sweet bread 
cake, cookie, those types of things. It's trying to give you a little bit of bounce. Yeah. And where it's not just crumbly. Right. It's not going to just completely fall apart as soon as you bite into it. Um, so you notice that the things that have more rice flour are crump- more crumbly just by nature. Um, and so I wanted to include this as like the basis for the majority of the recipes in the book because a, a big criticism of vegan and gluten-free recipes is that you can get pretty lengthy on like what you need yeah. to the point where you don't even want to make you don't even want to make it by the time you you find everything and I and I really wanted this book again to be accessible to thinking about Rochester we have a very robust food scene in terms of like there's Whole Foods now there's Wegmans you can you can pretty much find most and even like not common ingredients somewhere in Rochester. Yeah. But not every community is as privileged as we have, where we have these international markets and specialty food stores that you can sort of pop into. So I wanted to think about that for people who may be more rural, who are ordering online, maybe that you can, you know, find these things on Amazon and they're not so ex- so exorbitantly expensive there are some recipes that have like some coconut some almond but they're not the majority of it because again coconut almond and coconut flour are the most expensive of the gluten-free flours um because they're not they're not flour or almonds for sure um and then they just have their own properties coconut is there's books dedicated to coconut flour baking which is its its own thing so i really wanted to make again a, a a user-friendly blend that was that was going to, for the most part, be accessible to people with did not have you know allergies. So almond, many people are allergic to almonds. Sure. So so that for me did not feel in line with accessibility. Is what I'm trying to say. Oh, for sure. Well, and I because all in all, like if you were to buy these things. Right. I mean, if you take a step back, you're like, oh, rice, affordable, potatoes, affordable, cassava root, affordable. Right. Right. These are, by definition, affordable things. Um, and even though they've been processed down to starches, yeah, like they're still a very affordable thing that you can buy in a decent quantity at a decent price. And you'll want to use it more than once because this, again, right. is something that's been tested. Yeah. Um, so, and when I said cassava, that's because that's where tapioca comes yeah. from. And one of the staple, the staple foods of the world. Yeah. Um, between, you know, South America, obviously West Africa yes. being a, you know, one of the dominant staple carbohydrates of the area. Um, the one that people will look at, cause it's got an X in it is xanthan gum, um, which I've used in some of my hot sauce making yeah. for um, for its binding characteristics. Yes. Um, but that's when people are a little, you know, they might know the others by name, but they might not know xanthan gum. Yeah, that's actually um, a grass. Um, I can't, I don't want to misquote speak where it's native to, but it, it, it is a, it's going to bind. Um, and you want to use that and not guar gum, which is completely different. Again, learning that I've, I've in the past, someone, you know, bought the wrong one and like, Oh, it's the same thing. And it's, it's actually not. Oh, Xanthan gum acts (laughs) so differently. Like it doesn't solidify. Yes. And in its extremes, it can be a texture that people do not enjoy, but used judiciously. It can add this certain viscosity to things um, that is, 
really pleasant texturally and also makes things so they're not breaking, so they're not doing the next thing. So all those little steps, you know, that you've gotten it down to five ingredients that you can stand behind and five accessible ingredients that you can stand behind. Cause you only need a tablespoon, you know, a couple tablespoons of xanthan exactly. gum to make what two, almost two kilos of a batch of flour means you don't have to buy pounds of xanthan gum. You can buy a little bag of it yeah, and it'll last you quite a while and actually. get, you know, dessert after dessert after yeah. dessert. Um, which, which does make a big difference for people who are, when you're making it accessible for yeah, everybody. Yeah, and thinking about cost and ingredients, you know, per, you know, per whatever. So that's that's very important. And then I think for, for this as well, it was important um, for, for vegans and vegetarians that I say very candidly that this is not like an, this is not a vegan cookbook, but there are vegan options in every chapter because my food journey is one that, there was a period where I was a, a strict vegan. Um, so it was a period of developing recipes that s supported that eating lifestyle most of the time and then sort of moved away from it a little bit. But, but, but again, always thinking about how can we make something more accessible. And then also there have been periods where I didn't have eggs and I just wanted to make something sweet and like, I, let, me, yeah. let me play around and experiment. Can I get a cookie um, with no eggs? And that was really some of the impetus and inspiration for like the vegan chocolate chip cookie where you can say, can I get an edible that I, that I consider edible? And I think I have a pretty, not like I have the highest palate, but like I, I feel like I have a very high bar for what I say. Like it's, it's one thing to make something vegan, but then for me to be like, it's, it's, am I going to eat this and will anyone eat it? 100% um, agree, and that's uh, where... And you've talked about that as well with the vegan. Well, and it's a struggle, right? Because I'm, first and foremost, I'm a nerd, and I care about quality. Yeah. That is my first and foremost. The fact that I live the, live a certain set of values right. doesn't take that away. Yeah. That never stops. And that's where, like, when I talk about... And I'll, I'll, I'll make a statement. If you want to learn about baking... It's not, or just about baking and attention to detail about cooking. Read the 30 pages in here talking about the do's and don'ts all the way through defining tools and everything. And you will learn so much about how to do things and the reasons why mm -hmm. that'll make you a better baker and a better cook because it's worth taking the time to reread that stuff to understand it deeper and it'll make you ask questions about everything you're doing in your own cooking that you know, you, you know maybe I need to understand that more. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I wanted to focus on those 30 pages so yeah. much is because it's setting the table for the rest of it. Yeah. It's setting the table for you to understand what's going on when those pictures are there. Because it's if you just took the pictures and didn't define anything in the beginning, they're just looking at pictures and oh, did it look like that? Right. But they're understanding the details gives them the opportunity to actually grow along with the book, which again made me very happy reading yeah. that. That was, I hope, very intentional and something that when I tell people to go buy this, yeah, it's not because they've got somebody that's gluten free in their life. It's because they want to learn about good good practices yeah in principle it makes that's, sense absolutely yeah, and that that was all 
you know, I, I, I hope and it sounds like it is resonating with people, whether if you just love to cook and bake and learn about food and how it comes together and the chemistry and the technicality behind it, there, there's some of that as well. And, and even for folks who don't care about any of that and you just want a good recipe that's going to work, um, it's for you as well, especially gluten-free and vegan because, you know, there's just, it's just so deflating when you've spent the time and the money on ingredients and then you your the recipe doesn't work and you're just like devastated because it's like a birthday cake and you yeah. put the time and effort into it and then it literally falls flat or doesn't rise or whatever it is that happened. <laughs> hey, if you don't want to ruin every baking thing that you ever do again, you should go buy Just Desserts by the gluten-free chef Calvin Eaton. Calvin, where can people go buy the book? So it is um, going to always be at Hippocampo um, Children's Bookstore on South Avenue. Um, so they have been my retail partner, and it'll be there always. You can go to my website, the Gluten Free Chef blog, and, and as we move through the next few months, it'll be rolling out like an abundance. It'll be at, hopefully at Lori's Natural Foods. It'll be hopefully at um, some other bookstores. The Book Eater is a new book and food store in, in, in our city. So we have lots of independent books sellers and I really want to support them with this project so you, you probably won't find it on Amazon anytime for the foreseeable future for sure. I appreciate that and yeah go support your local bookstore uh, places that are bringing good ingredients for you to buy. Right. Calvin thank you thank so much you so for much. coming it's over. Been great. This is so much fun I'm really glad we got a chance to talk through the book. Like I said I can't recommend you go check it out enough this is a great educational tool a beautiful book and a good time at the same time. So I'm going to cook stuff from here and post it on my Instagram so people can see it. Okay. But Calvin, thank you so much for coming thank over. Thank you. We'll be back next time with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. Thanks for listening to the Food About Town podcast. If you aren't already subscribed, what are you waiting for? Go to your podcast app of choice and make us your favorite podcast by subscribing and leaving a review if you can. Music for the podcast was created by the fabulous Taurus Savant. You can hear more of his work at torsavant.bandcamp.com and make your presence known by seeing him perform live. Food About Town is a proud member of the Lunchador Podcast Network. Oh no, here comes McKenneth! This has been a presentation of the Lunchador Podcast Network. <laughs>